Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with me today, I have Henry Catchpole. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Lovely to be here. <laughs> Can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are and what you do if they've not come across you before? Uh, I am, I suppose I present uh, car films for Carfection. That's probably what I'm um, most known for at the moment. But I spent, well, I still write for Evo magazine. Uh, I was there for... Uh, about 12, 15 years, something like that, um, on staff there. And that's that's where I started and really sort of served my apprenticeship. Uh, I write for the Cyclist magazine as well. And yes, that's that's kind of me, really. <laughs> In a nutshell. Um, how, how did you sort of get into it all, really? Wow. Uh, well, I suppose I've always always loved cars. Uh, growing up, my, my parents were um, into cars and uh, particularly MGs, actually, old MGs. So... Um, that ignited my my passion for cars and um, and bicycles as well. I suppose I was into those at the young ages. Most most children are. Yeah. And then it was I suppose one of the things I didn't I didn't I wasn't put into a cart at a, a really young age or anything like that. But um, it was a case of I remember Evo magazine coming out in 1998, and I would have been in the lower sixth at school. My best friend at school, Bruce, he actually had a copy of the first issue which I pinched off him and, and read and obviously I read all sorts of car magazines at that point anyway but when Evo came along it was just it was something different to me it it was the photography was was fantastic and the features just seemed to be longer and more in depth and there was that it's a a curious thing because obviously I've, I've talked about it um with you know with the staff there for over the years and it's a it wasn't a clubby atmosphere as such but it was just it made you feel part of 
something straight mm. away. It was a really, you, I remember really looking to see who had written the articles and that sort of thing because they had such a, each one had a very different voice. There wasn't a, a house style to the magazine as such yeah. other than that everybody loved cars. So you'd get somebody like Peter Tomlin writing a beautiful piece that wasn't necessarily particularly technical necessarily or might have or might sort of feature sort of more of the sort of personalities of people his yeah. early car of the years and stuff like that as opposed to john barker who was was much more technical anyway i loved it <laughs> say. and it just it I, I didn't know what i wanted to do i think there was thoughts that i might sort of go and do law or something something like that and um but i was like no this is i want to go and write for Right for Evo, really. It wasn't even any other car magazines. It wasn't a case of sort of, oh, go. It was, it was, it was Evo. That's what I wanted to do. I was, I think, realistic and sensible enough to, um, I like realistic and sensible, not pessimistic, um, to think that well, that might not happen. So I went off to university. I read art, history, and philosophy, which is um, so everyone says, did you do journalism? And I, I really because I, 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 I sort of figured that if you can write, then it's hopefully that's that's enough and if you're yeah. writing about philosophy then hopefully if you um you can write about cars for some reason but uh i did my dissertation on the bmw art cars so i managed to sort of weave uh, okay weave cars yeah. in there somehow um obviously i'd learned to drive in the meantime um on a 1.4 um mark uh was it mark 3 golf um cl uh, navy blue it was a mighty thing, and uh, <laughs> I still reckon if you can if you can heal and tone one of those, then uh, you can heal and tone pretty much anything. Um, so yeah, that was where I um, taught myself. Yeah, to I, I don't know why I thought about this. I was walking down the street yesterday, and I was just chatting to my other half, and we were looking at cars, and I was going, "Do you reckon people?" Because it was a learner car had gone past, or no, it was a Tesla with an L badge on it, <laughs> and I reckon, do people learn with manuals anymore? <laughs> and at what point in time will they stop? Oh, it must be, yeah. I mean, the, the the need to pass your test with a manual car must be rapidly decreasing, mustn't it? Um, but um, yeah, be interesting to know, isn't it? It's sort of, I, you'd sort of hope people would still learn on a manual for some <laughs> we time. Hope, Just cause, but... well, we hope, but but it does give you sort of if if you can drive a manual, and I, I sort of still think it adds something to understanding about. An automatic or particularly if it's got paddles on it yeah just just a an understanding of what you're doing and i don't know and just how gears yeah. work and yeah. all of those things yeah um, yeah no. well we'll see we'll see <laughs> yes, hopefully <laughs> I, I if i have a kid and it grows up and wants to drive i'll be like here's my old 2010 vintage mobile yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you exactly have it going. so yeah. and then yeah so do you just pitch to evo and say hey i want to come work for you Pretty much, and in, in many respects, I well, I, I did. I entered various competitions. I remember the Daily Telegraph running a motoring young motoring journalist competition, mm. and I wrote something for that. Um, and I don't think I. Well, I know. I know. I didn't. I think I got shortlisted. Um, so I got got my name in the Telegraph potentially for sort of on the sort of one of the top ten or something like that, which means probably only ten people entered. Um, <laughs> but. I, I then leveraged that for all it was worth, to be honest, and sort of, you know, look at this, look, I was shortlisted, and, and people don't really, they're not going to go and look up anyway, so it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, and I used to write sort of columns and practice doing stuff like that, but I met Harry Metcalf at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Um, I think it was in 2000, possibly, um, possibly 2001, actually, and he took me for a ride up the hill in... 
um, the then new 911 Turbo. Nice. Um, which had just been out. Because I used to go and... Um, I'm not sure I've really mentioned this much before. But, uh, so I used to live um, just out of Guildford, so Goodwood is not too far away. And I, I remember going there sort of years before it was ever turned into what it is is now. So mm. when the, the paddock at the circuit used to be just some concrete on the floor and all the lovely grandstands and all that sort of thing. Um, but when the Festival of Speed came along, we went to the second year of that and i've been pretty much every year since then but the supercar run i it was sort of relatively young age worked out that there is supercars going up and some of them had passengers in and some of them didn't and so i thought well why can't i be in the passenger seat of one of the ones that doesn't have a passenger in and i don't you know because i wasn't a particularly precocious child or that bold or anything like that you know it's quite that's quite shy really uh, but some seeing around cars, it just um, made me sort of think, well, yeah, why why shouldn't I be able to um, have some of the piece of the action? So I, it took me several years to work out how to do it because um, I remember literally approaching somebody um, the first year and they were about to go up the hill and said, yeah, sure, jump in. Have you got a helmet? <laughs> No, no, I don't even own a helmet. So next year I went back and my father used to ride a Honda Cub 90, so pinched his crash helmet, which was much too big for me, but it was an old FM one with sort of like um, blue and pink on it and stuff like that. Didn't matter. Yeah. Have a helmet. Yeah, got a helmet next time the question was asked. Have you signed on? <laughs> so another And so another year went past. So finally, instead of, and then you had to work out how to sign on, so you had to get into the driver's club, so you had to kind of blag your way in. Yeah, this sort of, and I was too young to sign, so my father had to come and sign for me basically at the time as well. Nice. So we both had to blag our way into the driver's club, sort of saying, Yes, we want to go and sign on for this. And um, yeah, and eventually I, I, I managed to convince somebody to take me up the hill. It was Jem Marsh, actually, um, half of um, Marsh, um, Marcos Cars, so um, founder of Marcos Cars, and his nice. wife was standing there. It was a it was one of the really really early rainy years and uh, so yeah he took me up the hill in a in a marcos in the pouring rain and um, yeah and i did that several times after that and it it sort of um i managed to get work experience down at marinello concessionaires because tony willis took me up the hill in the four five six um and um i'd sort of said oh i'd try to get work experience there uh, in Egham and didn't say any more than that and then yeah. at the end of the run he said to me um what, and I was being 15, I think, at the time, 16 maybe, um, 15 I think it was, and he said, oh, what did, um, the, when you rang up about work experience, what did they say? And I said, oh, I said, they said, you don't usually do that sort of thing. <laughs> and <laughs> sort of, even at that age, you know, I was crafty and sort of yeah. <laughs> worded it, and he said, well, here's my you know, secretary's number, give her a call, and I'm sure we can sort something out. So I, I did a day's work experience there. Nice. Um, and um, yes, anyway, met Harry wrote to him afterwards and then I think a year or so later said could I come and do some work experience for a, for a week um, and did that and then went and did a week's work experience of auto car the year after which didn't go quite so well and uh, yeah and then after I left university I was going climbing in the Peak District and thought well I'll just take my portfolio of bits and bobs I've written and then sort of and my CV basically and I decided not to join the army, so I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I was going to have a gap year, and mm. turned up. And it was a time when Dickie had just gone freelance, I think, and it was sort of slightly in the transition period between the magazine being sold to Dennis, so it hadn't fully been sold, but there was a bit of a rejig. I said, oh, yeah, we're a bit thin on the ground, actually. Um, sort of, why don't you give Peter a call, and I'm sure you can come back and do some work experience. And he offered me a month's worth of work experience, at which point I thought, right, there is clearly a job here. This is not yeah. just sort of a couple of days. 
so it was then really just down to me to you know not irritate them all too much um and that and that was it really i, I kind of and you did you i went there and i i proofread stuff and making tea and coffee i've said before i think was the most valuable thing i could do i didn't drink either at the time i now love my coffee <laughs> coffee off the wall there but um yes. it's uh yeah i so i just i made tea and coffee for them all because that endears you to people i think if you stand up at um you know Eight, eight, eight o'clock in the evening on a deadline Friday and say, anyone like a cup of tea? And, uh, and oh, yeah, go on then, Henry. And then everyone's like, who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly that, yeah. We should yeah. keep him around. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I think they just caved after a while. It was, I was there. I did, um, I did three months' work experience in the end um, before they, they finally said, yes, would you... Um, um, we can offer you a job on on absolute peanuts, and uh, yeah, and I lived out of B&Bs up there because I didn't know anybody in the area at all. Yeah. Um, and I used to go and it was a, I actually put on weight after university because I was really I'm skinny enough anyway, but I was really skinny back then. But I put on weight because I just the only meal I'd actually definitely pay for was the one I had in the B&B. So I had a massive breakfast every morning, just literally <laughs> everything, you know, cereal, cooked breakfast. The, the you know, if there was continental, I'll have some of that as well, and a yogurt to go down, and then sort of basically didn't eat the rest of the day. And um, yeah, and that was that you was didn't it. do the cheeky like bread roll filled with bacon <laughs> in the pocket. <laughs> to be honest, I generally it was sort of it was B and B's and sort of obviously people's houses. Most of them, I think, just they took pity on me, sort of clearly, <laughs> and they were they were very good. Um, um, anyway so so yes, when you um, when you officially started working for them what sort of mm, thing were you doing i was enormously lucky because it was at a time when they 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 didn't want to throw me in at the deep end far from it because they wanted to know that when i came back from the launch and i'd reviewed a car that they could trust my opinion um and that they were going to feel the same same way about the car basically mm. so i started out writing um news briefs which are little 60 word um, things and sort of bits and long termers and um, yeah a lot of the news section and you start out on hot hatches and you'd be allowed to drive other things but it was very much a case of I, I didn't actually want to drive the the big stuff first because I, I wanted to know that when I got there I'd appreciate it and feel comfortable yeah. driving it and feel comfortable reviewing it so I think the one thing I did really really want to drive was a catering um, and we had a r300 um with them slip diff and the sort of all the um bucket seats and everything um and i pretty much annexed that as my own long termer <laughs> as soon as i could and i just drove it all the time and if any car is going to teach you you know <laughs> how to drive then a catering is sort of um through the i knew i was living the far side of northampton at the time and I knew every single roundabout and every single oil spill on every single roundabout sort of <laughs> between there. And it was just, yeah, what an education. I think Jethro took me down to Bedford Autodrome at some point and we spent the afternoon with me learning how to oversteer in a catering, which is not the it's not the easiest car to oversteer, actually, weirdly. It's sort of fine at little angles, but it definitely reaches a point where it will just, just yeah, you're go. going around. Um, but, um, but yeah, that was that was a big part of my education. And then sitting next to the other people on the magazine as well because another of the jobs that nobody wants to do um is run all the timing gear so okay. it's we had the the v-box and you had this ancient laptop actually i was 
I was there the other day and Dickie sort of called me over and sort of said, Henry, Henry, you, you know, I had to try and dredge up all this memory <laughs> of how we do this stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I had to teach myself how to work this um, equipment and then you know, sticking aerials onto cars and having all that. And then we always used to do all the lap times and testing two up. So that was fantastic because thankfully I don't get sick in the passenger seat of cars. And so I could just sit there and I'd sit there for, you know, entire days basically going, round and round Bedford jumping yeah. out of different cars and, and you just learn so much if you're looking for it I think um, and understanding what different cars do um, because they're all obviously they'd be driven quickly but then also the last lap they'd have to do some enormous skid through the final <laughs> corner of the West Circuit or something for the photographers um, so you'd see all of this and, and you know, right what are they doing with the pedals what are they doing with the steering how smooth are they and um, and also the differences between, say, Dickie and John or Jethro. Um, so that was, yeah, that was fascinating and a big education. Yeah, and are people at that point in time sort of sitting next to you and giving you pointers, being like, maybe don't pull the handbrake then, or just, <laughs> you're just going out? It's, um, no, I didn't really have... I had a, a day with John Lyon, um, the, the, the famous um, instructor, um, high-performance coach, but in a... 993 uh which was harry's uh, one that he bought and did that down at millbrook um so we did a little bit of road stuff but but by and large i didn't really have any tuition it was just a case of taking the opportunities where you could um mm. and learning on the job and and sort of yeah hopefully relying on whatever uh, <laughs> sliver of natural skill you had and trying to just just develop it and but not and not run before you can walk i suppose um but um, yeah. because again, they didn't want. I think I did remember talking to John um, not that long ago, and he, I think he said, "Oh, we were all worried you were a bit too slow to start with," <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was because um, of what had happened at Autocar that I was, you know, I was thought, right, they just want a safe pair of hands. Clearly, if they say, "Here's a car, deliver it," you know, we want it to be yeah. there. That's what they want, not to be sitting in the office sort of, you know, biting their nails, thinking, oh, is Cashpole going to, you know, crash this? <laughs> uh, so that was why I was, as unbeknownst to me, probably too cautious. But, yeah. you know, I was sort of, um, but yeah, there we are. <laughs> I, I think it's better to be slightly on that side than the person that's so. on the yeah. other side. Have there been any memorable moments in cars on the road? Testing as in... <laughs> ending up facing the wrong direction? In ditches oh. or anything like that. Well, I mean, I've alluded to it already, so I might as well tell the story. But um, the auto car um, one, which was so, I was on work experience there, and I'd done nothing really for the whole week. Barely spoken to anyone, I think, um, but written something. And then the last two days, I think it was there, naught to hundred to naught challenge. So that was up at uh, Bruntingthorpe uh, Aerodrome, and Chris Chilton was going to pick up some Digitech. Mercedes, I think, from Stoke Poges. So he gave me a lift down there in his Evo 7 Extreme and then casually mentioned, he said, oh, you need to fill this up later. Um, the flap, fuel filler flap, you open by pulling this lever here. And I didn't hear the rest of the sentence because I just heard him say, <laughs> if you need to fill this up later when you're driving it. I was thinking, this is, you know, I'm going to drive this? You know, very, I'm in university at the time. I have a, you know, a, a Mini Cooper and that's the by some way the quickest thing I've I've driven up to to now. Yeah. And I remember just being terrified of this Evo when I got into it. Um, you know, we we came out of the dealership 
went under an underpass. Chris Rice, who's going the wrong way, so turned round. At that point, I realised there's basically no lock on an Evo, so the you know it had to do about twenty point turn in the road. I babied it all the whole way up there. Lost Chris instantly. Sort of found my way to the um, the runway and thought, fantastic. That's that's it. I've done it. Job done. This you know I don't have to worry about trying to drive this thing around off boost anymore. And then I got taken around the aerodrome and sort of talking to Chris and saying, and he was doing you know, massive, massive skids through the corners and, and all sorts of machinery. And I said to him, you know, where, like you just said, where do you learn to do this sort of thing? He said, oh, well, places like here, because there's nothing to hit. So it's kind of, it's, it's great. We then had to go back to the gatehouse to pick all the cars up and take them to the far end of the runway, which is this sort of, you know, the muster point. And so I jumped back in the Evo and it was wet. And I was again being very careful, a bit standing water. And then we come to a, the first few corners and there's one onto the sort of the back straight, um, the access. And it's a long left-hander and there's seemingly nothing there at all. And I was like, come on, you've got to be, you know, take your opportunities. This is sort of, you know, just push it a little bit to see. And we came over the crest and I now know what happened. I didn't at the time. I couldn't have told you what on earth happened, but came over this crest, just started to understeer a bit. So I lifted off. And we were going backwards before I knew. I, the, bit between, <laughs> the bit between lifting off and me facing the wrong way, travelling at some speed because it's a quick corner. Um, I, I just, I, I have no idea what happened. Uh, I subsequently worked it out, but and you know, hit the brakes. But of course, we were still going far too quickly. Then we hit the grass, so we seemed to speed up. And next thing you know, I'm facing. I sort of basically come to sort of facing into these trees, and I tried to start the car, which was actually quite ambitious because once I'd worked out, you know, alarm went off and then it didn't yeah. really see. And I looked across at the passenger seat and there was just this big V. And it was a good job there wasn't a passenger there because they, they would not have been, they would have been straight to hospital. Mm. And um, yeah, and I remember just getting out and walking across the grass and looking down at my shoes sort of you know, as the, the dew seeped into um, <laughs> them and, and Chris went past an um, M3 CS, I think it was, and sort of, and I remember seeing him herring past, and then just this nose, you know, diving as he sort of braked hard and looked across, and sort of was like, what happened? I was, I'm so, so, and I spent the whole day apologising, and sort of, I, you know, having gone from being very cautious to suddenly, yeah, the, my worst nightmare, just wanting the ground to open up. Yeah, and, I can imagine. Uh, right. Yeah. So. Was everyone pretty chilled about it? Or no. No, no, not initially. No, no, they really, really weren't. I mean, Chris was, Chris was nice. Um, uh, there was. Um, um, Robbo was there, and yeah, he, everyone chilled out sort of by the end of the day, and sort of then then the story started coming out as sort of you know well I crashed this Diablo and we put it on the cover and it was the best selling issue ever and all that sort of, and it was, but yeah, initially it was yeah really not. Um, I, I I I knew I knew I'd screwed up and I was yeah. it, I couldn't have been more apologetic and, and sorry and whatever, but but I wasn't made to feel kind of <laughs> like it was all okay because it really wasn't no. and um that car stayed at Brunswick for quite a long time um actually needs to um do laps in it because it was hilarious because obviously well, it was just totally bent and it was a write-off but uh, it was apparently quite funny to try and lap um <laughs> who was actually I, I should say who was very good I came back to the office and Steve Sutcliffe was there he was the editor at the time and I hadn't really spoken to him all week and there is a story that um I was basically sort of I think probably burst into tears on me because he was going to measure something in the car park and had the stories vary between him having a golf club with him to take that back to the car having a ruler with him because he needed to go and measure something on a car and once I'd sort of caught the train back and obviously sort of because clearly I wasn't going to the second day of naught to naught um and I'd been to a hospital to get checked out because it was a fairly big impact yeah 
made my way back to go and pick my mini up. And of course, I just didn't want to see anybody. I just wanted to pick my keys up from reception. And here's the editor walking towards me. So, yeah, back into, you know, just, I'm, I'm just so sorry. Exactly, yeah. Well, this is it. I didn't even notice that he was holding anything, but apparently sort of, you know, this story went round that, you know, I was then utterly sort of terrified thinking I was about <laughs> to receive some sort of public school thrashing for my um, um, misdemeanour. And um, But he couldn't have been nicer. He was, he just, he literally said, he said, doesn't matter. He said, are you okay? And I said, yes. And I said, you fine. And he said, well, that's, that's all that matters. He said, cars, you know cars doesn't matter they're just bits of metal at the end of the day as long as you're all right then that's fine so he was um yeah there we go i've had it where i've i've driven into a friend's bumper at not very fast speed and cracked it and i definitely felt significantly worse than he did and i've had someone driving reverse their car into my car when it was parked someone i know and cracked my bumper and i was annoyed we were going to sort it out, whatever. But when you damage someone else's car, to me, that is like an absolutely mortifying, I never get over that feeling. Whereas often as the as the reciprocal end, if it's going to get fixed or whatever, you accept that these things happen. You're just like, yeah, no, it's fine. Like it's annoying, but it's fine. There's been, I've, I don't know why it's just popped into my head. There was a track day, I think, in Italy at Monza. And there's someone driving around in, I believe it's an about to be delivered or just delivered Pagani, Huayra, something, something, something. And it gets hit by someone in a GTTRS, like full on taken out. I've seen the video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not a another good level. Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so from- you're writing articles at evo you're learning to do skids and drive and pick up your feelings on how cars feel did they have like a a sort of process of like this is how we think you should review a car or talk about a car or you know these are elements to look at or you know to break down a car or they just like work it out because i read the magazine so religiously as you tend to um and i I, what I did is I tended to try and book in cars or if, if we had cars in, I would drive something and then go back and compare it to what they'd said um, okay, yeah. in the review. So then you, you pick up, oh, right, okay, so I see, yeah, I get what they're talking about now. Um, and I think, I don't really remember sort of, uh, I'd obviously listen to what they, they'd say about um, things all the time. I don't think they ever really told me how to, how to do it as such sort of tacitly sit me down and say right this is kind of what you're doing i think as long as you had the right um ethos i suppose sort of mm. uh, mentality about it because in the idea of the thrill of driving and, and people and and we're honest as well because they didn't want me certainly initially to try and pretend to be yeah. you know dickie meaden because i'm clearly not still you know one day when i grow up you know i might be but it's kind of it's um, somewhat unlikely exactly yeah, Henry. Yeah, I've, got, I've got i've got a shrink for a start so sorry dickie um but um it's you know like i said before peter tomlin wrote some of the most beautiful prose for the magazine the most enjoyable things and yet he would you know he claims not to be he's a perfectly good driver but he's not of that level he's not about to go you know racing every weekend or something like that but he doesn't mean he can't review a car and say whether it's you know whether the engine excites him or not yeah um and whether it's you know a, a lot of it apart from that very outer limit handling stuff a lot of it you can 
get anyway. Anybody can get. They can jump yeah. into a car as long as they're looking for it. And, and the biggest thing, I think, from their perspective was just to give me the exposure to the biggest number of cars possible because that's the that's the thing that really you have this this memory bank then of i've driven you know if you've driven a dozen hot hatches or then then you know when you drive the 13th one sort of right you can compare it to all those others oh actually yeah the steering was better on that one or sort of yeah. you know, this one definitely feels heavier kind of and then you look at the figures and whether it is or not so that's the thing and obviously over the years now hopefully i've got a pretty big memory bank of of how a car feels and i it's something I've always, I suppose, has come pretty naturally. I just because I I love it and I love the feeling of driving cars. It it, it has I haven't needed to work at that too much. And you you do it's amazing how much you pick up. And I can drive a car and then recall what it was like to drive afterwards pretty pretty well. So um, have yeah. you had have you had it where you know things get rose tinted over time because you've got this memory bank of cars you've driven and you might drive the next version or whatever um we know we've just had the new gt3 launch today i haven't seen too much about it but it's you know 992 gt3 is sort of going to be what it says but when 991 came out for example like how long before had you driven a 997 like you know when you compare the two if it was 20 years ago that you drove one Mm. maybe it's different because i know Every time I drive a car, it's sort of different because it's different conditions, different time, different mindset. You might have different music playing. You might be yeah. with different people, whatever. Like all these sorts of things do affect how I feel about the car in that point in time. Again, it, it, it all adds up to, like you say, the different things. And then the, the more you drive cars in different conditions in terms of, so you know that a Cup 2 tyre is going to behave in a certain way in a certain condition. Yeah. So that then... Um, you adapt the way you're thinking about the car to that and if you've driven enough miles in other things then it that that helps i i totally get obviously some cars you know if you're driving it um in a you know sunny tuscany on a beautiful day yeah. then even a, a rubbish car can uh, feel really pretty good um but i think there's you you have to be very objective about it if you're testing things in, in in some respects you yeah. sort of it's this this weird blend of the objective and the subjective um and you've i think you have to be careful not to let the subjective get too um not let that overtake any review add it in because it adds color and of course it's people want want you to wax lyrical about yeah. things and if you love it that's that's brilliant but but at the end of the day a car is a mechanical thing and it will do certain things at certain points and, and you can be very analytical about it and that's actually what helps you it gives you the, the nice grounding in any review getting all oh, right that's doing this doing that and obviously you look at specs as well so that that can help um color some yeah. things but equally yeah like i say i think it's just this this memory bank of of stuff that you you've driven the more you the more driving you do the more driving you do in different cars that it, it that's how how you build up a, an ability to to test stuff um back to back um, I think. Do you, because most, I'm, I'm trying to think about, about it, most car magazines and that style of videos that are done are very much, you know, the person driving it is removed from the situation. It's just, this is what I'm getting, the raw stuff, you know, what's the steering like? What's this like? What's this like? And I think a lot don't give necessarily their opinion on the car as such. 
And I imagine because if you have to go and review like a hundred million cars and you just say, well, I love this one. <laughs> I don't like that immediately means you don't love another one or you yeah. have a certain brand you like and you don't. Yeah. It gets a bit tricky over time. If, if people say to me, what car would you like to own? Or do you, I can give a car a five star review. Yeah. But it might be a car that I think I, I have no interest in owning that. Yeah. Because I can, I can appreciate why somebody else would love that car. Yeah. Um, and obviously I can appreciate the objective things about it and the fact that it is phenomenally fast and, and makes a, a great sound perhaps or sort of and all these things. And you think, yeah, absolutely. That is definitely a five-star car. Would I want to own it? No. Because, again, the more cars I get to drive, um, the, the luckier I am, the more I can become really, really specific about what I personally really like in a car yeah. and what I what you know, what boxes it ticks for me. Um, and you can become more picky but then you, again you have to be careful not to let that um sort of <laughs> yeah. you see what i mean sort of encroach upon a review which is and particularly sort of i think actually a lot of the time um doing the video reviews it's it's um the internet loves a positive review so they do they do and uh, and it's and i think again you sort of and i've realized that you can be i can i obviously still say if i don't think something's right and objectively if something is not not as good as something else obviously i'm going to say it yeah um but just coming out something sort of being being a bit sniffy about it because it's not really sort of in my taste and Thing, i did a yeah. you know bentley bentayga i did a review of that not yeah. long ago not my sort of car however there are things about it that um objectively you know the ride of the thing you know the imperious feeling about it you can see what the engineers were going for yeah. and actually is very successful at what it's trying to achieve so for me to come along just because I happen to like driving caterums and sort of say, mm, that doesn't work. It's not, a, I wouldn't be a very good journalist and, and reviewer of cars if, if, if I let my personal sort of feelings about something encroach upon it. It's sort of, yeah. I said at the time, the, like a restaurant critic going in and saying, well, I don't like garlic. So, you know, you know therefore this chicken Kiev's rubbish. Yeah. Um, no, I, that's definitely something like putting yourself in the mindset of a potential buyer. Like who is this aimed at? And is it someone like me? Like, okay, so for this week, I have a Bentley Continental W12 to drive. Amazing. And this morning, I'm driving it around, pooling around, doing some stuff. Can't really do that much with it at the moment. But it very much ticks the super comfy, waft, amazing interior, all of that stuff. I, I can see why people really like this. And then part of me was like, I almost think if, if this was sort of me in this car the Bentayga might even be a better option because it's bigger and like more space and like you can actually get people in the back or more people in the back sort of thing. Um, but then for me, I like light cars and it's a really heavy car. And that in itself, like there's something about the way it maneuvers around that I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm driving something really heavy, even though it's exceptionally capable and you can drive it quickly. It's just, there's just something in there. But for the person that wants something like that, that is an amazing bit of kit. And there will be certain journeys that you do in that. I remember being, having one of the previous generation once and I was rushing around and I was meeting somebody in a pub. Do you remember those? Sort of this place you went to and you'd meet other people in a beer. And no, I don't anyway, uh, <laughs> and, and I was, you know. And I sort of, I was, you know, running late or cutting it very fine and, and just a stressful day. And I got into it. And instantly you shut that door and it's as though you've just shut out the entirety of the outside world. 
um, whether it's you know double glazed glass yeah. and the, you sink into the seat and it's and at that moment oh wow this is this is amazing and it's and I, I should never forget that feeling of sort of thinking yes this is this is why you buy one of these and I love cars as well that's the other thing about it it's hard to sort of objectively there are very few bad cars these days no. as we've sort of said it it's not you go back 30 years and yeah somebody could have got the whole of the you know rear suspension utterly wrong and it's um, then become a death trap but it doesn't really happen these days so you're, you're then nitpicking again yeah and and that car for example i would 100 percent if i had a lot of cars like a, a decent chunk of cars mm. i would have a v8 bentley continental new shape 100 yeah. percent like it's that ability to isolate yourself from everyone else and you're not in a Rolls. I'd rather be in a Bentley than a Rolls, just personally. Don't want that size and everything that comes with it. But it t- it ticks that job of just isolate. Just literally, it's like someone giving you a hug. It's like yes. you get in that car and then you just waft off. Yeah, and I think if you like cars, then you can, um, and you don't get to, you know, hung up on the sort of the particular clans becoming a, a particular sort yeah. of a, a Porsche fanboy. I, I love Porsches, but equally I can appreciate all sorts of other cars. And I just, I love driving whatever, pretty much whatever it is. I like driving it. So um, it's, it's pretty rare to get in something and think it's, this is, yeah. <laughs> yeah this is me. awful. No, nothing's that bad anymore. It's very difficult not to, like you said, like start going down just, in your head being like well this brand's just better than this <laughs> especially when you look at buying and selling and all of these and owning because mm. the ownership experience of some cars is significant some brands is much nicer than other brands mm. whether that's just resale value and all the other things that aren't necessarily about how good the car is unfortunately you're writing a bunch and then you started making videos yes yes how well, was that, that transition <laughs> terrifying um <laughs> it still, still feels very odd to if i'm perfectly honest because it was um i'm just looking at this face for crying out loud. it's um it's something i didn't you know i didn't as i just said i didn't get into it to do videos i was yeah. i was there to write there was top gear at the time um but that was a whole other ball game that just didn't enter the equation frankly and then the internet started growing and being more popular and being this thing we really had to pay attention to i remember i think i went on some sort of course down at dennis hq um dennis publishing being who owned owned evo i sort of i don't think i took it that seriously because i didn't really want to be there if i'm perfectly honest and i think because i didn't take it that serious and i actually relaxed and they went you're quite good at this and i said well that's that's silly because i'm not going to do it so sort of you know i hate watching myself on camera so that's very kind of you but i'll, <laughs> I'll have a hard pass on that and then it sort of came along you're thinking hang on a minute this is I'm going to have to do something with this potentially if I, if I can, because that just looks like that's the way everything is going. And there was a point where I think certainly when the iPad came out and everybody was saying, well, this is the death of the magazine and nobody will. And it's thankfully hasn't been, but for a while it looked like, you know, my chosen career might be um, heading down a a fairly nasty cul-de-sac. And then Sam Riley joined Evo and he was just, we both had the same mindset about making films because the other thing was, I think the films that existed at the time that say Top Gear was wonderful and beautiful and fantastic to watch, yeah. but seemed very out of reach. But equally, the sort of films that we could make in terms of just you know sticking a GoPro on the front of a car or something didn't seem to match with Evo and the photography yeah. um, that was in there. So 
I had I you know I'd watch mountain biking videos or you'd see skiing videos um, and they were beautifully produced and sort of this fantastic escapism and brilliant you know scenery and and it just felt to me like that was really what we should be aiming for with Evo so and Sam got that as well and we couldn't do that initially but we sort of eventually got our got our chance to do it and thankfully the reaction was was really really good and so that's the sort of line we pursued and i and i really enjoyed that side of it as well um and i still enjoy that side of it in the same way that i enjoy putting a magazine feature together and i love the photography side of that and i love the cinematic side of um the films if we can do films where you can take me out of it then great um, that's sort of, <laughs> i am the the weak link i think is um, but it's you know I, I i love the visual side of it and i think that's Absolutely. that's the really um key thing so that was the thing i thought right i like that i can get behind that if we can do those sort of things then let's go for this and, and make it happen and does it stack up for because I, I remember evo and I, I don't know whether autocar were doing it too much but we started seeing tons of what could be perceived as high budget-esque videos coming out all the time and then i remember watching from the sort of sidelines someone that makes videos occasionally got lots of friends who are youtubers and stuff like that just looking at it going like how are they doing this and it actually earning any money because like we know that that's expensive to do how does it work and it looked like it almost hit a wall at some point and everything exploded yeah i think it probably did really i think it was a case of i mean it was lucky that both sam and i were on staff so that helps because obviously yeah. we're we're doing the the magazine side of things which at the time is obviously that's what's making the money um but also building the youtube is is something we want to do so we i most of the time it would be both it would be three of us it would be me it would be sam and it would be dean smith who was doing yeah. photos and we would go off and create both a um you know, magazine feature and the uh, the video at the same time and that worked really well and we had some fantastic adventures doing that it was it was just brilliant but as you say it does commercially perhaps not stack up to do a lot of that and where i am now i think a lot of people think about this with carfection you know they see what we do and i, I think we produce some some lovely videos oh, they, that do they look are very, i'd say they are the best in that space at that's the moment. very kind of you indeed and, Thank and you. <laughs> massively so from i was talking to an editor um, this morning from a production consistency like the stuff that i see that possibly the audience don't see but they just appreciate that it's nicer like the shot to shot consistency all of this everything is just oh, it's just done very well <laughs> <laughs> i'm very yeah I'm, I'm not gonna lie i when i joined carfection it was you know i at the time i was i'd just gone freelance and i was i, I chose very carefully about where I was going to go because I rely it's it's not I'm the face on the camera like I've just said but yeah. the, it's Charlie or Glenn or whoever behind the scenes that's obviously I rely on them to make me look good yeah and I can have input and I can have ideas but again if we don't if we're not on the same wavelength then it doesn't work um and it's nice because I can say to them oh should we try this shot or should, how about we do it like that and and I can have an idea in my head about how I think right we're going to start this film here and pick a location or something mm. and we're going to try and do this and i'm going to walk up some stairs and then i'm going to say come through the door and then we'll cut the voice over here and that'll be sort of and i have to rely on them to either go henry you've just just you've, you've taken it too that's not going to work for this <laughs> very simple reason and they're like, oh yes or they'll go 
yes, that sounds mad, but let's give it a go. And then it does or doesn't work. But what they do in terms of the editing and stuff, and we've kind of made a rod for our own back in, in some respects in terms of trying to up the quality all the time. And it's difficult yeah. at the moment because... You know, the, we can't rely on being on a launch somewhere sunny yeah. and wonderful in a new location. That It's easy to kind of riff off a new location you've never been to before and think, wow, that rock looks cool, I'm going to stand on that. But if you've been to the same road, you know, 15 times and you're looking at it going, well, I've stood on that rock three times, I can't yeah. go and do it again, then it doesn't doesn't work. So, yeah. <laughs> what? Okay, so what is Carfection? Because I have no idea. So Carfection. Other, other than a YouTube channel. Other than YouTube channel, so yes, yeah, so that's where we were going, wasn't I? Distracted. We are part of CNET, so, uh-huh, so they okay. are CNET. I'm, I'm freelance. They are part yeah. of CNET, and CNET, for those who don't know, is the world's largest tech website. Um, it is enormous. I mean, it has it's like the 160th biggest website in the world. Um, not just it, it, it's phenomenal. So we are, but a sort of. A, a pixel on the decimal mm. point, final decimal point of, of, of them, basically, um, and hang on to their coattails, which uh, is very helpful and means that we don't just rely on the YouTube channel. Um, it's it's part of a much bigger thing. So most people don't realise, but the videos are all uploaded natively to CNET. Uh, okay. um, so when people go on there, they will see, um, or should see, the, the same video that's on YouTube and obviously our revenues then... Etc. Yep. Etc. So hopefully yeah, that yeah. makes a bit more that sense. Makes, kind of that story. makes. <laughs> I I knew it was owned by someone, but I didn't know who. And it being someone like that makes or seen it makes perfect sense. They want some automotive content. Yep. For them, it's not crazy money to have some people come along. Um, mm. What's what? And if you went and did a shoot, oh, I'm trying to think of one that I remember recently. Maybe uh, 720 a spider. Okay. Like how many people yeah. would that be? Oh, it's just just me and Charlie. Um, so I mean, most shoots are these at the moment. It's 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 me and and a cameraman. Um, we will sometimes it's it'll be three of us because obviously it helps with um, tracking and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, but we have ways around that. Um, not that I'm going to reveal here. Um, but um, <laughs> I've got some sneaky <laughs> suspicions. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think, and this is the thing. I think some of it is. I think there's a perception perhaps that it's all done with extra budget and extra time. And actually a lot of the time you look and we've had exactly the same access as, as everybody yeah. else. I'm not going to say we work harder because it's, we just work differently um, to other people. And perhaps I've got a mindset about, right, if you're setting out to create a certain thing, then that's what you're going to try and create. And it's a, a different camera angle or a different way of looking at it. It's definitely, we don't have, massive budgets and the nice thing is obviously since i started the the equipment has changed so mm. much in the last decade and we're so you, know, you look at the latest drones and stuff that we can use i mean being able to have a, something like a mavic pro yeah. um that folds up to that so you can take it on launches anywhere and yet the shots from it look as good as a helicopter shot in in some circumstances yeah. and yeah that is just extraordinary and you know a, a, a dslr can shoot fantastic sort of um images and yeah off you go it, it doesn't take um a huge amount of equipment thankfully because again we haven't got the um facilities to to do it and it it's nice not being a massive team of yeah. people either because it gives us the flexibility um 
and I think that's um, that's very very good. So we are often rushing around, and a lot of it comes together in the edit afterwards. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I can't remember who I was talking to. Someone about the difference between a small group of people working efficient, efficiently and then trying to like do the next level up and just the number of people and time and everything just it all just escalates and goes out the window and yeah. you go well can we just do this as like three of us or two of us <laughs> because it will be way faster way quicker way better and mm. you won't be able to tell yeah yeah that's it isn't it and, I, and there are times when you know we sit there and have to say you know we'll, we'll make shortcuts which you may see a lot of people won't and that's and it's knowing where to spend the time to yeah. do stuff and sort of do we spend the time on that shot or actually do we go and do that because people will love seeing that much more it, it wasn't in the original plan but then yeah so i think you just get get better at it hopefully. <laughs> oh and it's 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 going well I, yeah. I enjoy the videos you've drifted and driven a lot of cars now <laughs> i'd say an extensive list um but when someone hands you like the keys to i don't know a pagani or something mm. and maybe not so much now but you need to get a cornering shot mm. is- jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. that quite uh, slightly stressful or not too bad? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, um, it, again, it comes down to a lot of, a lot of factors. It depends. Um, if the car's good... And the car's actually, you know, it's, you have to kind of think of it right. It's just a car at the end of the day. It's going to kind of it's going to understeer, oversteer, be neutrally balanced. It's going to do all these things and you have to trust that, that fine. It, yeah. it, there's, a, there's a number attached to it, which is, but from a pure driving perspective, when it comes into that corner, it's no different to my 1500 quid clear sitting out the back. It is, so that's, that's what you have to come down to. And just, if you let yourself get too worried about it, then you're, probably not going to do a very good good job and you build up to it as well it's sort of um if you're doing that sort of thing you pick your corner and and if you're not comfortable don't do it as well i'm i'm not yeah. i'm not kind of you know above um saying you know this is i'm i'm not going to do that thanks very much it's it's sort of it doesn't happen that often but if it's um uh, or at least not on that corner you sort of think right we're going to do it somewhere else um so yes that's um i can remember driving there was a Pagani actually, a, a Cinque, and doing the cornering shots on that and knowing that it's the only one in the world at that point and you're going to take it back to the factory at the end of the day and there's the yeah. test driver standing down there who's probably much better at doing this sort of thing than you are anyway. And that sort of all, it does get the old heart rate 
going but equally when you see the i think it's why you sort of if you ever see a motion journalist not looking in the back of the photographer's camera wanting to see what the cornering shot looked like then uh, um they're they're faking basically um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, all, we all want to see what it looked like i think it, it, it would have felt heroic inside the car even if it didn't look like it through the lens um, yeah it always like filming is especially bad for that it feels yeah. stuff feels like mad and then if it's just the wrong angle, the right whatever, it just looks naff on camera. And you're yeah. Like, oh, no. <laughs> and at that point, you're like, just don't include it because it looks rubbish. I'd rather not have that in there because nobody's going to understand that it was absolutely, you know, yeah. what it took to get that. So <laughs> the car's sliding, but the wheel is pointing in the wrong direction. You're yeah. Like, what? What's going on here? <laughs> Presumably nowadays, though, that sort of stuff is a lot easier to get the shot from a photography point of view because frame rates on cameras are so much higher and with digital you know and also you can capture a lot more frames whether you've got it or are people just your photographers like nah done okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I i certainly remember from back in the day when you'd have to go through a corner you had to go through a corner you know I don't know, at least half a dozen times yeah. just because the photographer, as you say, couldn't look in the back of the camera. And it it, it might be, you know, it, minimum it was going to be 24 hours before you you saw yeah. the result of the photo on a light box somewhere looking at, um, um, looking at it. So, yeah, and there were some photographers that really would, wouldn't back themselves as it were and, and you had to, <laughs> had to do an awful lot of passes. Uh, so, yeah, we kind of it was a weird actually in terms of timings and going from sort of, there was a lovely point where it got to digital so they could see in the back of the camera, but then screens weren't quite necessarily good enough at that yeah. point to really be sure that they were good. And then now they're brilliant. But again, if you've got, then you'd end up doing video at the same time. So then everything just took twice as long anyway, because you suddenly got a video camera as well as stills. And yeah, yeah, there we are. But yes, photography does take less time these days. You must have a lot less time to just drive and work out in your head how you feel about the car with all the filming and stuff yes and no i suppose filming takes longer than photography so you sort of and you're in the car a lot anyway and actually going up and down the same stretch of road a lot is can be really helpful because it's like being on a mountain bike and just doing the thing that nobody ever does they just go out for a ride instead of actually sticking to the same corner and sort of trying to do it again and get better that's effectively what i have to do so it's you you can um you can learn an awful lot about a car whilst doing it if you're looking for it and obviously still whilst working out where the photographer's or videographer's standing and all that sort of thing i'm lucky if a car gets delivered home then i'll be able to go out before and drive it and just have a drive and that's really nice if um, we've got a loan for that but yeah it doesn't happen a lot on launches we had um the in fact the goldfinger continuation db5 that we did a film on and it was it was quite a rushed film actually it was with um sam riley but and we were relying on some of their b-roll and stuff but i had to drive from um stoke park the golf club where they filmed the sean connery golf match um back up to newport pagnell and it's a journey i know relatively well sort of i wasn't going to take the motorway because it just Mm. and i just had that hour and a half or whatever in the car on roads that i know relatively well and it was lovely and there was no there were no cameras there there was nothing for me to do other than get from one place to the other and just enjoy the car and that was just yeah what a privilege particularly in that sort of car i think yeah where normally you might expect the to be mileage restrictions or something or time constraints and yeah. stuff so just to to have that we felt like a a huge 
privilege and just something to be soaked up and enjoyed and um, mm. yeah you've driven that um that stunt db is it was it a db5 oh, with the yes. m3 engine in it yes oh what a car that just, is mega yeah just brilliant i mean thousand kilos 300 brake horsepower from a bmw straight six naturally aspirated manual gearbox and some sort of modern ish but still old style rubber sort of on skinny skinny wheels and it's just brilliant i mean and basically i think it was a world rallycross car or something underneath in terms of all the <laughs> suspension and stuff and you know proper islands dampers and that sort of thing so it if they produce that they would sell every single one of those <laughs> um i would have thought because it's just everybody i don't think i've seen a review where anybody came away from driving that not having the best time and yeah as somebody that owns a mark II escort rally car i was never not going to love it i suppose <laughs> yeah i think that everyone i know that watched that video and then a couple of people did videos with like the real one and then the stump one and whatever and everyone i've spoken to was like yeah the stump one that's the one i want i don't give a shit about any of the other ones right. <laughs> that looks <little> wicked fun <laughs> it was just it was so good um and and it, and lovely but lovely that it looked the way yeah it did because that's that was a big element of it i think so um and yeah to be able to get out of something that looks so beautiful but know that it drives like that it just is a yeah an amazing contrast how do you feel about the sort of rise of the resto mod now they've been around for a long time like e-type eagles and stuff like that have been around for a long time but we're seeing a lot more now i would say you might disagree a lot of supercars at the moment are getting very sort of homogenous they are different. They do have their own characters, blah, 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 badges, whatever. But twin turbo V8 in some whatever body. Um, whereas all of these resto mods are incredibly different and but seem to be getting much more popular. What do you think yeah. about them? I love them. I, I absolutely love them. And I totally, so I was just going to say after that, the, the, that DB5 in a way encapsulated so much of what I think everybody loves in resto mods. And the, when I first joined Evo, and I was however old I was, and I I could have quoted pretty much every number in the back of that magazine in terms of the knowledge. Yeah. Um. It just it's all in there. You know. It's just that that was what it was. And after, and I had to do the knowledge for a long time. So I was the person that again talking of jobs that nobody wants to do. I was the <laughs> one that had to sit there and go through it all and enter all the details and do all that. So I know you know is that right, wrong, whatever. So I had to do all that. So I know it's kind of. But after I don't know five years of being there, I realised I. I couldn't have told you, certainly the, the newer entries in there. I was like, why, why can't I tell you what the brake horsepower is of, of this? And it's because you realise that actually it doesn't matter. What the number is on a piece of paper is, is really irrelevant to actually how the car feels going down the road. You, know, you drive, um, it's one of the things with electric cars these days where by the, the, the numbers behind them, the actual acceleration isn't necessarily as exciting you know, doing a 0 to 60 in two point something in a Taycan yeah. or Tesla or whatever. Uh, yeah, for some it's weird because it's a very different feeling accelerating hard in one of those compared to, say, a, a latest 911-992 Turbo yeah. S. Very similar times, but actually it's a very different feeling. Um, in, anyway, that's one for another day. But compare that to, I think the most exciting car I've ever done 0 to 60 in was a Murcielago SV. Um, and... I remember it was Saturday morning down at Millbrook and it was a little bit damp 
and we got the time. I think we got 3.6 to 60. And then somebody rang up Italy and said, is that okay? And they're like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, if you could have another go at sort of, um, sort of, I was like, mm, fair enough. Okay, we'll go and do you know, one more um, launch of this. And you get everything, and turn it off. And I thought, right, we can turn everything. They, they wanted you to launch it, I think, in sort of the halfway house. Yeah. Um, something like that. I can't quite remember. Anyway, you turn everything. Basically, whereas normally you sort of think you'd try and limit the slip, off the line obviously and you just want that maximum traction yeah actually the way to do it in this was simply to light up all four wheels and you just remember you just, <laughs> you just light up all four wheels and you just kept the revs spinning all the way through first and it would also take attitude off the line for whatever reason there's obviously some slight inconsistency yeah. so it would go bang and you just take attitude <laughs> have it all four wheels spinning all the way through first this amazing noise from the natural aspirated v12 behind you you basically just thinking what on earth is going on and then you've got a big paddle here and you just be watching the revs with the master head v pull the paddle bang and it snap straight and off you go and then it was easy because you just pull gears whenever yeah. you know, and it and that's what it took 3.2 bingo you know as fast as a mclaren f1 which obviously i can remember because it's an old car <laughs> and that but that in you know 3.2 seconds my word as hopefully you can tell it has stayed with me yeah and that's what I mean. The sort of the, the numbers, and this is what then brings me back to the resto mods. So that, fine, the numbers attached to them, you don't really see sort of the people talking about the the naught sixty time or the top no. speed on these things because it doesn't matter. And I think that's the you know we've got the new GT three coming out now, and it's not faster in a straight line. Um, really than the previous one it is faster around the Nürburgring because it's got the new and what interests me about it then is the, the new front suspension right? yeah. how does it feel does it still and it's crucial they kept the naturally aspirated engine because it's it adds so much more and that's what you want from a, a resto mod and it's not about the it's not about the speed is it I think that's sort of should almost be the strap line for all resto mods it's not about the speed yeah and you know there you go and it's it's interesting because they're all different as well an alphaholics is different to an eagle which is different to the cyan racing um, do you have a favorite of the ones you've driven if you were going to get given one and you couldn't sell it because obviously some are more expensive than others yes yeah exactly yeah i'd be i'd be really torn because i i love the eagle uh low drag gt um, very cool sort of almost from just a, a pure aesthetic sort of point of view i mean they're fabulous to drive as well um but i remember being down at eagle and seeing the very first body shell up on the wall and just thinking wow that is you know really that's really something but alphaholics i i love to i love driving them that might have to be the the one i'd pick or mm, i don't know um <laughs> this is it i don't and I, I i really it's weird isn't it because i'm quite a lot of supercars i'd sort of you know Okay, I'll give you the, the supercar question. Current two hundred ish grand supercar, which one would you have? Well, I, I haven't driven GT new GT three RS or G, new GT three rather, but I suppose that would probably be it. Or if I could have the nine hundred one Gen two GT three. See, that's box, kind of that's, funny that's, because that's, that's that's the one that I would have. Um, and and that's the same. That's weirdly, that's the same. That's the same for me. It's probably not that weird, but I did say two hundred grand ish, and you picked the GT three, which I think says so much about the GT three. Yeah, that you could have an F eight. Yeah, it's still a bargain, isn't it? And it's. I think that's that's what I would um, have. And it's kind of the. I would love a GT three one day. I think that's that's my sort of the car. It's the classic question, isn't it? The sort of the the 
party question something's oh then what car would you, you know if you can have any car what would you buy and of course you come back saying well really it needs to be at least a five car garage because you've got to have this and you've got to have that and yeah, i couldn't yeah, leave yeah. that out and i've just talked about at least four different resto mods that i haven't been able to make my mind up about so how on earth are you expecting me to yeah. choose one but my answer was always if i won the lottery i would walk out the next day next morning and i would buy a gt3 with a manual box you know probably the most recent one all apart from 991 one gen one and then i would have a long hard think about what else i wanted in this um, yeah um, and why would you collection? have the most recent one that might be a shock to some people who would go like oh the older ones are better or whatever you know oh i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily i think i would have at the time it was so i hasn't driven the most recent one but it, i think the that's assuming gen, the 992 doesn't well we know about it we know about we know it. about it but we haven't yeah in terms of just i suppose if I was only buying one car, sort of at that moment, then I think the sort of the usability aspect yeah. of it, sort of, and the 991 Gen 2 still had that feel. I remember it, it was ages before I got to drive one and took it out, and it was a bit wet. But I just remember thinking, yeah, this is it's a proper 911 again, um, and had that feel in the wet where you in that lovely 911 balance still that you could feel at that point and cup twos in the wet are fun so it's um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it sort of that's it was all there and it had the fabulous engine uh, i think if i was choosing i'd probably have a i love the idea of a 997 um no, no, some yeah 907 gen one uh, with a 3.6 um that i think is probably the one i would pick i don't know why i think i've just got a, a thing for them at the moment <laughs> um it was also the first gt3 i think i drove it would have been on car of the year 2006 uh probably um mm. spent a long time sitting in marseille um porsche dealership waiting for a new first generation cup rear tire because somebody got a puncture in it not me but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> those uh, things early days were kind of annoyingly difficult to get hold of car of the year and i can't okay there's, there's a few people do cars car of the year-esque performance <laughs> things um Evo, were you involved in the Evo one this year? I was, yes. Yep. So Evo and the, let's say, the M2CS versus mm-hmm. Autocar and the M2CS. Oh, yes. This is slightly controversial. <laughs> one, one top, one bottom <laughs> uh, of the top five. So obviously they're still considering it good. Yeah, what, what's your take on that? Am I right thinking they had the auto or the DCC Yes, one was, um, a, one was a manual. Yeah, one and I do think the manual, I've been driven both. The manual is um, subtly better um there's actually a feature coming up in evo at some point about the two batch back so i give too much okay. away but but i think it's also it's a car that definitely needs having driven um in the wet you need to get heat in those tires on the circuit sort of actually you can and it's really impressive the way you can get heat into those um tires and they it will give you a surprising amount there's a again disconnect one of those things you have to be quite confident thinking actually yes this is getting more grip because instinctively you think those tires wet circuit that yeah. layout front of it's just it's not going to have no traction at all it's going to be absolutely and it's not there is actually sort of more traction than you you think yeah i love the m2 cs it just it is utterly brilliant i it's just something about that package and it's the sort of thing i drove it obviously on car of the year loved it and you keep going yeah. back to it and checking and just thinking no the way that engine revs all the way out and it can keep up with an awful lot of more expensive machinery and you just you can chuck it around and it feels absolutely underneath you i, I kind of like the fact that it's not too shouty in terms of its looks it's just enough you know yeah you know it it's special I, I think we 
certainly for Evo Car of the Year, we drove it on track at Anglesey and then we had a week up in Scotland on a, a lot of different roads and in a lot of different conditions and yeah, came out on, on top and it was against some good stuff. Some big good stuff and it was a really really good year as well um yeah so. it's amazing how yeah like we said before different car different situations different times and mm. whatever i've driven two 9912 gt3s I've, I've driven pdk and manual i almost couldn't care less about the pdk it's a good car <laughs> it's a good car but like when i drove the manual i was like oh, okay no like i forgot how much i love this this part of it and how much of it is a huge part of it yeah. when you're driving it if I was just on track, I could be a PDK. I, I, I wouldn't really mind that much if it was just on track. Um, but no, on the road, it's, it's interesting how it does, that sort of stuff. It does add something certainly to sort of, not every car necessarily, but, um, but yeah, it it's, adds another layer of interaction and interest. And yeah. yeah. So another point on the car of the year, I understand why it is like this, but it's, a car that's been produced in that year, which often means rivals don't get put against each other because they missed each other by a little bit. Porsches can't win every year because they're not made. They don't make a GT3 every year. <laughs> no. But but when they do, they seem to do quite well. They do. <laughs> but also, have you had resto mods on car of the year? No, I don't think we have ever had a resto mod on car of the year, um, which My- would be... Yeah, that'd be interesting. My follow-up question would be to be, if you put the Alphaholics GTA <laughs> in, in car of the year, every year, because you can buy it every year, <laughs> would that be it till the end of time? It might be. Who knows? I mean, yeah, there's a, there is a strong possibility that that, that could, could happen. Um, it's, yeah, I remember Caterham's got sort of, banned from car of the year at some point because essentially it was the same thing turning up every yeah. year and, and actually it was kind of sort of for the opposite reason that it they kind of didn't necessarily do particularly well because there'd be people like me going this is the best thing ever and then sort of probably somebody like harry um actually well i don't really want to get in there and sort of i haven't got any water trousers <laughs> and this is not sort of um, um so yeah we decided to just sort of give it a lifetime achievement award and quietly sort of not have any more caterings in car of the year because it got a bit bit ridiculous but uh uh yeah oh jeepers that would be quite interesting to see you know you put a um the thing to do would probably to be to benchmark uh whatever one against the same resto mod every year so an alphaholics or a, 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 <laughs> yeah fortune 11 designed by singers reimagined by singer or whatever so yeah um that would be be quite yeah fun. Um, that would be but, interesting and I, yeah. I know these things can be done independently yeah um, exactly and that's and that's that what stuff. evo does it's sort of kind of yeah I've always been slightly interested. I don't know why I've thought about it. Just looking back at older cars, at how quick older cars would be on current tyres. Because we do lap times and you get you see Nürburgring times. Some manufacturers release them and you look at that and go, mm, not so sure that's real. And then some <laughs> release them and it, we know that they, you see customers doing the same lap time. So yep. it's fine. But like, let's say, for example, the new GT3, just because whatever's come out and it's two seconds quicker or i think the new g3 will be quite a bit quicker than the old one but it's, uh, it's 17 and a half seconds quicker around the uh 20.6 kilometer track it's um because they're now measuring it over the two different distances okay, i know this yeah. i've done a video so it's kind of sort of it's also 1.2 seconds quicker than the old g3 rs so there you go so what's the gt3 time 150 no, one, not 150 seven, no so 650. it's um 659.9 is the, over the full 20.8 kilometer 
track. Okay. Um, so, can, but then it's six. Uh, was it six fifty five point four? I think um, over the the one that everybody the used one, up yeah. until sort of this year or whenever it was. Um, this which cuts out those two hundred meters around T thirteen. So, yeah. Um, yeah, which is. But if you put like, let's say, because we the, the car at the moment. They're all on the Cup 2R Porsches. Yeah. Okay, not all of them, but like, you know, oh, yeah. G3 RS and stuff like that. Mm. If you put a 918 on Cup 2Rs, how quick would it be? I don't know, but it'd be interesting to find out, wouldn't it? <laughs> it, kind would, of, it would be interesting. <laughs> it really would. And the biggest, it seems to say that the biggest demonstration of that that I think we ever had on the magazine probably was, and we didn't do it, it wasn't lap times, but it was. Um, we did the analog supercars test, the greatest test I think Evo ever managed to pull together, um, where we had XP5, the McLaren F1 um, from McLaren, and we had a Carrera GT, uh, had Murphy oh, RSV there actually, yeah. um, and a Noble, and a Zonda, and an F50, and an F40. I mean, it just still yeah. blows my mind that I was able to be there on, on that sort of test but the Carrera GT was the interesting one because it was the first time we drove one on Michelin Super Sports um, so that tyre had just come out and the Carrera GT obviously has a reputation um, and deservedly so it is a tricky car to drive on its original tyres and I hadn't driven one on its original tyres I'd seen other people driving them and spinning them on their original tyres <laughs> but um, and it, it makes it sound as though they were sort of, you know, they came on cross plies or something, but they might as well have done seemingly. <laughs> sort of for for all that it was just, you know, a really really tricky thing to to drive, particularly when the, those tyres were cold or it was a little bit damp or anything. Yeah. And you put it on super sports, and instantly instantly changed the car to being one that was just so Porsche, so drivable. I mean, I I got in it and drove it, and yeah, it, it's still requires respect because it's a mid-engine car with a v10 behind you and all that but but it not scary just yeah. you you could slide it and it was it was fine it didn't feel like it was going to spit you off at every corner far from it and that was just that massive transformation um i think somebody has actually subsequently done a lap time potentially around the nordschleife on updated rubber i might be might be wrong about that and it was a significant significant improvement um so yeah i think volta Roll did the lap time in the Carrera GT originally ran the Nordschleife and he was there was a I think he was asked about um how sort of scary it was and he said well Flansgarten 2 so you come down over that sort of drop and then it's and he somebody said did you do it flat and he sort of said yes once <laughs> and <laughs> and that was it there was just you know it was he did not ever want to uh, do that again so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no it's interesting to see because they're definitely yeah. certain cars and certain tyres really yeah. iffy. But then sometimes that can be a bit more entertaining. Like I just said, I, I kind of like cup cup twos in the wet because it sort of comes back fun. to... Yeah, it kind of comes back to the resto mod thing. And I kind of get it, it's not for, for everyone, but you know, I enjoy... It's always that funny thing of... Um, I say always that funny thing. I've been lucky enough to do some rallying. And if you're driving, if you're doing a gravel rally and you come to... Um, you've obviously got to drive between the stages and uh, you, you come into the first roundabout and there's cars moving around all over the place <laughs> sort of, and you're sort of sideways at about two miles an hour around a roundabout because you've got massive great chunky tread blocks underneath you and it's, uh, yeah, it's good fun. I've um, seen so, the odd road test or review 
on a rally car on like gravel tires and like gravel <laughs> setup, and it just sounds like the most fun ever. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. I am. Um, yeah, I fully intend to keep gravel tires on my Escort all the time because it's um, it's genius. It's like it's kind of it's a it's a, just a more extreme version of driving around on um, winters um because yeah. in the you know in the in the middle of summer because they have that obviously just that feeling of that slight squidge that just sort of shimmy where the the contact patch isn't completely keyed in and you've got <laughs> yeah, sort of, yeah yeah I, I love it i like that sort of um but i like driving things on cross plies as well because again it's uh it's just fun and interesting, i had so. my first experience of rallying uh last year and it so happened to be i ended up having to wear i think it was about 30 degrees outside and i was wearing the normal stuff you have to wear, but then I had to wear two face masks over the top of the things because of the current times. And I was in an escort at, um, at Silverstone, at Silverstone Rally School, and I had the most fun. A bit hairy as a passenger to start off with, being like, hang on a minute, this just seems nuts. And just the idea that, uh, I can't remember the guy that runs the place. Their little track is really narrow. Mm. And his logic was, well, if it's narrow, you'll stay in it. If it's wider, you'll use them more space. And, and you, yeah. it's amazing after not that long how you suddenly go, yeah, okay. Exactly, yeah. You, you get used to sort of changes your decision-making, doesn't it, a bit? Um, it's uh, massively physical. Yes. There was a lot of like hairpins and stuff like that, which yeah. was... I think I absolutely ripped up my hands. Just <laughs> yoink. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I love the... Uh, and actual rallying, the, the the adventure of it as well is just fantastic because you're out there all day, sort of, and you come back to service or whatever, but you've got the road sections in between times and it's a proper proper day out or several days out in terms yeah. of... You know, so do you get out in your like car that. much? Uh, not much, no, because it's in <laughs> several pieces at the moment. I've just bought, ah. a new en- just bought a new engine for it. So 500 quid off eBay, Pinto. Yeah, nice. so that's kind of... We're in the process of need to get a new head for that next and pop it in and all sorts of things so hopefully uh if everything comes back to normal then we'll try and go and do maybe the woodpecker um again in that we've got sort of unfinished business with that um but yeah um hopefully the the intention very much is to to get back out and do some do some more rallying so i've never really uh, watched that much rallying i've sort of every now and then see some highlights and go that looks wicked um (laughs) and then when, when i was younger it was Always loads of Subarus and Evos, Evos flying around, um, but I sort of feel like it's it's having a bit of a resurgence. Ignoring as a as a, someone that's not involved in it at all, with things like the Yaris, um, all these lifted cars, all these 911s that are appearing. Yeah. Um, whether it's the Singer DLS, I think that's the most extreme end mm. end of that one. Because I would love to see like a Fiesta WRC pack road car or something, you know, like that. Yes, and there is actually there is a Fiesta out there. That sort of, there's oh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's R3 um, now. That sort of there's a much more road based and actually sort of coming through it. And I, I did a feature many years ago when they launched the R5 Fiesta, and I drove it up the Honister Pass. Um, I somehow convinced Malcolm that this was <laughs> this is a good idea, and and it is amazing driving a you know proper proper rally car on the on the road. But I think there's the resurgence as you say that we're seeing from things like like the gr yaris but but also the as you say the the singer acs and the 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 you know bowlers and things like um things like that and the the nomad obviously as well i think yeah. excited an awful lot of people um and the more that 
roads become restricted and or viewed as and, and cars become fast too fast as well it comes back to that and people start thinking well actually yeah perhaps a, a field you know anyone's driven a, anything around the field frankly they'll had a, you know the time of their life and suddenly it, you think well yeah why do i need this sort of um need that and i always tell people if they want a an experience um so the sort of you know the red letter days experience or whatever yeah. or track day experience or you want to give somebody something for christmas always say just go to a rally school book the sort of book a half day experience there you'll get more seat time and you'll be doing the things that you actually in your dream you know when you come back from the circuit you yeah. you think you were massively sideways around the last corner and in fact like most of us it was just that one twitch that sort of but <laughs> but actually you'll go to a rally school and you'll be doing big skids because that's what they want you to do and um and you'll be learning the car control that you dream of learning so that's that's what i always think people should go and go and do um yeah, yeah go to bill Gwynn or phil price or whatever and, and um yeah yeah, sliding about is is the most fun. Mm. What is driving a like an R five rally car on a road like? How does it? How does something like that compare to a normal road car? <laughs> I say, you know, pick any road car. Yeah, uh, noisy is the sort of suggest. That's the kind of. Um, I think the, the people don't realise in some respects how civilised even the most uncivilised of um, road cars is compared to um a, a competition car um fully stripped of, yeah. of everything I mean, you have to wear you know the ear defenders in there really um and just you know the, the gear shift the full brutality of making sure that it, it you can't pussyfoot around it it's certainly a a thrill doing doing something like that uh obviously also generally has naffle steering lock so that's pain and you can't and then you'll be sitting down low so you can't really see out terribly well so it's all these things that it's really good fun but actually it would probably be pretty much the last car you take out on the sunday morning because you'd just be thinking if i get stuck somewhere this is going to be horrendous uh, because you always i often every now and then have people that want to have a race car on the road Mm. and i've driven race cars and i absolutely i have absolutely zero desire to drive a Mm. race car Maybe the odd one-off, just yeah. because. But like, it's all that stuff. It's yeah. like you can't see. It, it, they're not and designed. The, often they're not designed to reverse. No, no. And the yeah, yeah. The tong 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 tong. So you suddenly have an emergency stop, and you've got to rem- yeah. You're busy braking. Suddenly realize you've got to downshift. <laughs> otherwise, you're going to be there trying to just shift down through this. Equ- oh. and then the steering. I mean, something like a R5. The the it's so pointy that you just that's completely impractical half the time or takes you people think ferrari skeeter is you know, pointy but yeah or special is pointy but nothing compared to uh, an r5 car so yeah all those things you, you realize it's not quite as simple making a a, a road racer as, as it might seem because <laughs> of those cars are they set up so that a serious amount of lock is within without having to take your hands off like that's a lot more than a yes a i think so sort of, yeah it's a tricky balance i remember driving um richard tuthill did the 997 um rgt yeah when um and that was based on a cup car and actually certainly when i drove it needed probably more lock adding into it because it was based off the cup car so it kind of had no lock at all and actually when you get it was really quite tricky just to manage the slides within a small window and you ran out of lock too too quickly so it's strange isn't it because it all depends on it being matched to the roll rate of the car as well so um yeah all those things 
all of the stuff and whether you've yanked yeah. the handbrake. Then yeah, exactly. Matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So because a lot of the time it's obviously not, you're not looking for big inputs. Sort of even something like a Mark II Escort. Um, I had this sort of slight argument with Tiff um, over Twitter at some point because he was going on about how sort of escorts were always massively sideways and he put a picture of Osh and Price going hugely sideways on, I think, the red kite stages. And I spoke to Oshin about it, and he's like, "Yeah, that was a corner. I knew my family was standing out, so I gave it the massive send." <laughs> and I sent, and I sent him a picture of this. I was, look, look at Oshin elsewhere in the rally, and actually, you, you, you're not having big yeah. angles of lock because you have the car sliding, but you don't. You know, you want to, you know, it'll be the way into the corner of anything else. You want the car straight like anything else, so you're getting traction out of the corner. And unless you're just an idiot like me who thinks it's cool to be really sideways everywhere sort of if you're being fast then you're not you're not actually as sort of it's the mistakes and they still happen in double, modern wrc cars which are obviously designed to be yeah straight but they will be sliding because yeah it's sort of you can't be straight all the time and it's not a control there's a weird clip for me of like let's say you're doing a 90 right or something like mm-hmm. that in a normal car you would slow down and you would turn all the way right and then mm. you would go then the car would turn to the right whereas mm. Your rally car, you might be coming in or adding some angle with a handbrake or something. So mm. you only have to turn a bit to the right and then you're pointing forwards. Mm. And off you yeah. go again. Yeah. It's um it's a very different experience and it's just I mean it's it's such an exaggerated version of what is so lovely in so many cars and road cars and stuff and sort of and 911s obviously um exacerbated an awful lot because of their weight distribution, but it's it's weight transfer that's what's really enjoyable about a lot of sliding and, and a lot of cars. It's that sort of understanding that and feeling at one with the weight transfer. Yeah. And once you get that, that's the, that's the big sort of light bulb moment, the click where you really feel um, um, at one with the car. So, yeah. I think that's something that ap- appeals massively about something like a Nomad because you can just see it. The whole car is just going like, like that looks fun. That looks, looks like it's getting it moving. I normally wrap these up with five questions. Oh, Are you ready? <laughs> Come on then. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? <laughs> uh, oh, I've been so lucky because I've been so many. But um, um, I think oh, probably taking a McLaren MP412C to Africa, just because it was one of those things. So many things went wrong <laughs> and it nearly didn't happen. And... And it's a McLaren in Africa, particularly over the high Atlas Mountains. And that was a road trip. I'd had those roads in my mind for so long and yeah. just thought, well, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, that. And it was just me and Dean Smith. And, yeah, it was, yeah, won't forget that in a hurry, taking that car. And that it never missed a beat. Um, and it was it was extraordinary. Coming down the other side, back towards Marrakesh, with all the, you know, there's, so, there's no light pollution whatsoever. So seeing the, the Milky Way and everything, um, yeah, that's yeah sounds pretty great yeah good bunch of people cool location plus cool car exactly ideal yeah. <laughs> five car garage oh, I can't <laughs> unlimited value unlimited value um i'm going to have this is just today right so i can it's change it tomorrow today. Yeah. good okay right well let's have um let's have that as i've talked about it let's have the 997 gen 1 gt3 so i'm gonna have to have uh, a rally car so that's going to be uh let's have a let's have an rs 1800 uh, mark ii um, escort mark ii uh, in fact i'm going to have uh, dkp uh, the acropolis winning rothmans one so i think yeah i might have that one then i'm going to have a uh, aston martin dbr1 because 
you've given me unlimited budget. So yeah. I love that car and the idea of watching Peter Harman sliding that round Magwick um, down at Goodwood and the idea of being able to drive that um, round the circuit and then drive it home on a summer's evening and stop at the pub on the way back. And I think yeah. that would be... Very uh, cool. Yeah, that would, that would um, be pretty good. Um, then obviously I'm going to need um, something... Some daily-ish. Some daily-ish. Um, I'm going to have a new Defender. Ooh. Yeah, there we go. Interesting. Just because I might change my mind tomorrow, but I think... Would you just, have a 90 I, I love, or 110? I think I'd, I'd have a... I like the 90. I love the like, look of the 90, but I'd have to have a 110 because I'm buying this... I'm, I'm buying it. You're giving it to me uh, for practical reasons. So I'd have yep. that, but I'd have the Explorer pack on it as well because I think that kind of that breaks up the side, gets rid of that yep. odd square on it and stuff, and you get a roof rack so you can do all that sort of thing. And, spade on it or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Dig myself out of um, Woven Sands or wherever I, you know, yeah, adventurously go. But yeah, I can bungle the bikes and stuff in the back of that, and I can tow um, rally car to stages and stuff with yep. it. So, um, and I like bit of bit of roading, bit of sort of you know going camping and stuff. Bit of an adventure, but I could daily it as well. So that's kind of yeah, I'd bit big for dailying, but there we are. Um, so yeah, yeah, so what's up to four? Got one is more. It? One more. One more. I've got to have a Ferrari. Let's say 458 Speciale, um, I think. Just as my one sort of modern... Yeah, modern most Most modern-ish um, supercar. I know we've got 997 G3 in there as well, but I think that's kind of... That's a good, yeah. it's a good duo. Yeah, it's quite nice, isn't it, I think. So that would cool. That would probably be, be it. If you're going to drive <laughs> one car for the rest of your life and you're allowed a £500 banger on the side... It would have to be a 911 of some sort. Obviously. Um, so obviously... I think you get used to it, wouldn't you? That's the thing. I think you get, you think of things, you think, oh, I'm not sure I could live with that every day. But I think if you live with it every day, you would probably get used to stuff. So you could go for it. It becomes your car. Yeah, it becomes your car. So you could, yeah, you could probably have a, like a 2.7 RS or something. Um, you could do that. That's definitely yeah. doable. I'm saying, I'm going 2.7 RS. There we are. I've never, I've never even driven one. There we are. Oh. How weird is that? If <laughs> I'm picking a car I've never even driven. Um, and saying I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life, but and there we are. You That's you it. have the option, I guess, to resto mod it slightly. Yes, That's sacrilege. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, but, you could put in yeah. a stereo or something. Yeah, you keep the original parts, wouldn't you? So it's fine. yeah. Uh, what's the most undervalued car at the moment? Ferrari 550s seem to be going bizarrely. Sort of, I, I just love that car, and again, it was one of those cars that Evo trumpeted back in the day as being you know the greatest driver's car of the last decade and stuff and they they don't seem to be a huge amount of money at the moment i've seen at the various auctions things mm. um i mean obviously a 1500 for a clear 182 i think is a, a massive undervaluation but um uh, and some of those hot hatches i think will go up in value or might perhaps no perhaps they won't because they're just the french and they just fall apart probably eventually but <laughs> but but in terms of value you know what i mean there's sort yeah. of 1500 quid for that for that amount of fun for that sort of you know two litre natural Difficult engine manual gearbox great chassis kind of what's not to to like about that so yeah there we are it's two cars yeah absolutely <laughs> and final question what is the most interesting car to you at the moment electric cars okay not, not i suppose and i i mean that not in terms of a um it's a it's a whole new area a bit like mm. it's almost akin to going from writing for a magazine to you know presenting on camera because just the kilowatt hours instead of yep. you know it, all, all these all these things that i'm having to learn about and the more 
EVs that I drive and I've driven, you know, in the last year, I'm getting there in terms of getting my head around them and, and they're changing so much all the time that actually that's probably the thing that I'm having to think about most and interested in is probably sort of perhaps not the way I'm looking at it, but, but I am interested because, again, I, I want to see where they're going to go where are we going to get if, yeah. if this is the way it's going and we don't manage to get you know i'm still hoping synthetic fuels will save an awful lot of what i love in cars and you love in cars but but evs are going to be a big part of the next 10 Definitely. years certainly so yes that's that's something that i'm interested in because sort of certainly from a professional point of view yeah it's um it's a topic that i've found myself thinking about a lot recently like kind of worryingly too much so much so that i'm worrying like what's going on with you but like just at the moment walking around on my daily walk um and you know there's like pollution and stuff like that and you think oh god like it does seem a bit archaic all this stuff and then you just how does this pan out how does this work out and then where are we at right now and it seems i don't know what your opinion is on this like sort of the state of the market right now if you were to buy a new car, which not 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 putting Genesis in the, in the thing at all, but just people in the car industry, like my friends, everyone. I don't buy that many. I wouldn't buy many new cars. I would always buy second hand, no. just because They're expensive, like, aren't they? It's no. just expensive. <laughs> it's just an expensive way of spending a year with something that's yeah. not beneficial. But if I was to change a car to have something that was either hybrid or electric, what would I be looking at? And does it work yet? And is mm. is there even any point yet? Like, I don't know. How, how do you feel about it at the moment? Some of the ones, the, the, the Polestar 2, I found very impressive. Um, that's the one, I think, of the sort of ignoring the higher, more expensive end. Yeah. That's the one that's made most sense to me as felt. Uh, I saw somebody describe it the other day. I think it's been comfortable in its own skin. And the, the whole Google interface fine i know a lot of people would sort of say well it's google in vagling itself in your car and i don't like the sort of big brother aspect i, I get that totally but in terms of an actual operating these, system well exactly yes there we are um it's the sort of the the way the mapping worked and just silly things like not silly things things like putting in a destination which you can do through the voice control because it actually yeah. works for once and then it giving you right at your destination you will have this amount of range left and suddenly that that takes away yeah. pretty much all the range anxiety because you're then like, right, well, that's fine. I can make my decisions based around that. Um, so that was hugely impressive. I like the little Honda E. That felt fun. That was and, cool. And yeah, not enough range, but it kind of felt felt actually quite rear-wheel drive as well. So that was, that was nice um, and fun. And then I drove the Taycan rear-wheel drive the other day, and that was a big step on from the first Taycan I drove. I actually spent time in that thinking yes i could live with this on a day-to-day basis and actually the the fundamental balance of the car and the steering was lovely and you sort of think yes this this shows a mm. glimmer of what i'm looking for in a um electric car to sort of pick the ball up and run with it because i i think there's so much been as you're saying before the fact that this Taycan real drive wasn't as fast as a turbo s i think was a massive benefit yeah. to the way it drove and not having a really jumpy throttle with lots of instant torque and stuff it, it just seemed so yeah it's it's going to be fascinating to see where it where it goes and it will get you know we will we'll end up we may not end up but i hope we end up with a blend that is the optimum blend of all the stuff whether it's synthetic fuels plus electric plus blah 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 blah, blah. 
so that we can adjust the ECUs on our old bangers and still drive them around. But day to day, yeah, we'll probably all be driving electric cars. That's probably just what it's going to be. And there isn't a reason why they can't still be engaging and interesting. You sort of think of a, the, yes, the, the gearbox and engine is a massive part of something like an alcoholics. You come back to that, but actually the, the chassis on it and the dynamics and what makes it enjoyable and the sort of the, the steering and the way it moves through a corner um, when you're you know, on or off throttle or whatever, all that, there is to me no reason why we can't have that in um, an enjoyable yeah. modern electric driver's car. And once you've got all that, well, then you kind of, you're a long way down the road to actually thinking, yeah, don't mind um, driving one of those and taking it out on a Yeah, totally. Maybe. I drove uh, an Elise, I can't remember which one it was, a new-ish one, uh, about a year ago. And it was it was really quiet, the engine. And I was driving down a country road, like sort of spirited drive. And I, I'd had this weird moment of like, you know what? This could be electric. Like it's not electric, but it could be electric. And because I can't really hear the engine anyway, I can hear all the other sounds and it's light and I can hear what's happening at the front left tire and then the front right tire and the back left and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I could see this being fun. If and when... We can make electric cars that light. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is a big take thing. Some time. But there we are. Anyway, thanks very much. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Not at all. It's been nice just having a, having a chat, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> there <it's> we are. <laughs> Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you. No, cool. thanks very much. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.